I invite you to stand for the Palm Sunday Gospel reading, if you're not already standing. But the Gospel reading for today on this Palm Sunday is from John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us live in his peace in the name of the Lord. The Old Testament lesson for this Palm Sunday, also known as the Passion of Our Lord Sunday, is from the book of Isaiah, the 50th chapter. And as you listen to these words, think of the, of the Savior, Jesus Christ, speaking these words as he's going through the Passion, his Passion. We read Isaiah 50. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, beginning at verse 5. And this text will also serve as the basis for my sermon this morning. St. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading appointed from this Sunday is 
for this Sunday is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 27th chapter, beginning at verse 11. Glory to you, O Lord. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water. And he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarter. And as they gathered the whole battalion before him, They began to strip him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before Jesus, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. 
And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and then he yielded his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the crowd he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. God's grace, mercy, and peace is yours through Jesus Christ, our humble and serving King. Dear fellow believers in Jesus, get off your high horse. Have you ever heard that saying? Maybe you've even said those words to someone. Get off your high horse. Do you know where that saying comes from? Well, it goes back to a day when there were knights and kings. And these knights and kings, as a sign of victory, of one-upmanship, would ride on their horses in triumph and victory. To ride in one's saddle on a kingly stallion conveyed the attitude, I'm better than you. It was actually an, an attitude of arrogance and pride. 
And so the commoners would become very irritated by this arrogance that was displayed by the knights and the kings and others. And as these men would ride by on their stallions, the commoners would cry out, Get off your high horse! In other words, dismount. That's what St. Paul is saying in our epistle lesson for today. When he writes, Your attitude should be that like that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing. It's like Paul is saying, dismount, get off your high horse. In Mark 10, Jesus says these words, Whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus dismounted. His was an attitude and action of servanthood and service. We see this humility of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday when he rode into Jerusalem, not on a majestic war stallion, but on a beast of burden. Jesus exchanged his high horse for a donkey. And whereas Jesus should have been greeted by throngs of angels and all the dignitaries, he was welcomed by a ragtag group of children and women and men. Our Lord hid his divine attributes from human sight as he lived on earth and ministered in Palestine, except for those times where he did great miracles, or when his Father would speak from heaven and say, This is my Son. Although fully God, Jesus did not strut his stuff. There were no trappings of kingly power with Jesus, but rather homelessness and hunger and a humiliating death that was usually reserved for scoundrels. But you see, that's not the manner of our serving Lord. He dismounts. He gives and doesn't take. He serves instead of expecting to be served. St. Paul puts it this way in our text. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Max Lucado, in his book, And the Angels Were Silent, recounts a Russian fable. In this fable, there's There's a master and a servant. And the two of them set out on a journey to a nearby city. But as they're on their way to this destination, a blizzard comes upon them, and they become disoriented and lost. And they are unable to reach the city by nightfall. The next morning, concerned friends go in search of the master and his servant, and and they finally find the two men. The master is lying Face, face into the, he's faced into the snow, and he's dead. And as they roll the, the master over onto his back, they find the servant, and the servant is alive. The servant then goes on to tell them how the master had said to the servant, Get down in the snow, and I will lay on top of you. I will protect you so that you might live. Lucado comments, I hadn't thought about that story for years. 
But when I read what Christ said that he would do for us, that he would be handed over to the people and that that they would kill him, this story resurfaced. For Jesus is the master, the master who died for the servants. Max continues, Jesus is the general who made provision for his soldiers' mistakes. He's the son of man who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for you and for me. And I might add, Jesus is the king who dismounted his high horse and rode a donkey. Where in the world do we find such self-sacrificing humility? I read somewhere that Ben Franklin once made a list of the the qualities or characteristics of a gentleman. He came up with about ten of them. And his friend looked at the list, and his friend looked at Ben Franklin and said, Ben, you don't have on your list humility. And so Ben quickly wrote the word humility at the bottom of the page, adding it to the list of characteristics that go into making of a gentleman. It was kind of like an afterthought for Franklin. An executive of an airline company was talking about how difficult it is to recruit persons and then to train them for that industry. He said, service is the only thing, really, that we have to sell, but it's the toughest to teach because nowadays no one wants to be a servant. Well, this presents you and me with a problem, doesn't it? Because Jesus expects his servants, his followers, his disciples to be servants. He expects us to dismount. And so does St. Paul and the other biblical writers to dismount, to get off our high horse and to ride a donkey. Now here's an additional problem. It's not just that humility is an afterthought. I mean... We tend, and maybe some people more so than others, we tend to be more like the lamprey. Yes, the lamprey. Let me explain. In the Great Lakes, there used to be, or there, there were, large numbers of lake trout that once swam in those deep waters. When conditions were right, fishermen would haul in 20-pound lake trout, in some cases even 100-pound lake trout. But in the late 1950s, the fishermen began to notice that the lake trout were disappearing. In fact, they were almost wiped out. So the fishermen were no longer catching these beautiful 20-pound lake trouts or anything like it, not certainly in the numbers that they once did. And so they began to wonder, what's killing these fish? Pollution wasn't the main cause. Overfishing wasn't a primary cause, nor was even poaching. The cause of the lake trout's demise was a parasite called a lamprey. The lamprey is a long, cigar-shaped, slimy fish that looks a lot like an eel. The lamprey has a mouth with a suction cup on it. It's got little tiny, sharp teeth. And like a leech, the lamprey attaches itself to the fish. And it does not let go. And the lamprey sucks the blood out of that fish until the fish dies. The lamprey had taken over the Great Lakes and almost destroyed all the lake trout. In what ways might we be like that lamprey? Does our selfish ambition, pride, or vain conceit tend to take but not give?
to eat but not be fed, to undermine but not repair? Have we found that our aversion to dismount from the saddle of selfishness and arrogance or pride, have we found that those things have destroyed or severely damaged a meaningful relationship or been a stumbling block to someone listening to us talk to them about Jesus? Has our stubbornness to get off our high horse brought turmoil into our home, our workplace, our school, or yes, even our church? Do we find ourselves suffering from an acute inflammation of the ego? St. Paul writes, Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Humility begins with confession, with an honest appraisal of our shortcomings, especially in relationship to God. To bring us to recognition of our sin is God's way of knocking us out of our saddle, to getting us to get off our high horse. As we confess, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, we're dismounting. We're dismounting from our saddle of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And instead, we're looking to Jesus. We're depending on Jesus for forgiveness of our sins. As we stand before the cross and we look into the eyes of our suffering servant, the King above all kings, we see one who was crowned with thorns, a king who was disrobed but for his underwear, who was anchored to a cross by spikes. We see one who was God and yet dismounted, emptying himself, if you will, even to the point of dying on the cross. And we realize that Jesus is our suffering servant And we're his benefactors. Yes, we're the ones that benefit from his act of servanthood, his dying on the cross. God's Son humbled himself to the point of death for me, for my sin, for you, for your sin, and really for the sins of all people. St. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through him we might ultimately become rich. We are rich. Rich in Christ's love. Rich in the abundance of Jesus' forgiveness. Rich in knowing that we have an eternal treasure stored up for us in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It cannot be taken away from us. And it's this awareness of living in the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that has a way of making us dismount. How might we who are rich in Christ enrich the lives of others? Since the beginning of this Lenten season, our midweek Lenten services and then the noontime devotions have focused on the fruits of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. And we actually still have a few more fruits of the Spirit to talk about, and we will so in our Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday services coming up yet this week. But we've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit are these, says St. Paul. 
love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits of the Spirit are things that we can't manufacture in ourselves. There's something that the Holy Spirit nurtures in us as we spend time with our Lord in His Word. These are fruits or gifts of the Spirit that are given to us as we live every day in God's love in Jesus Christ. As we look to our loving and suffering servant Jesus Christ for forgiveness and peace. And it's as we allow ourselves to be held accountable by our brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraged by others to be less absorbed of ourselves that we begin to find that the Holy Spirit works these and creates and nurtures these fruits within us. And as these fruits of the Spirit are nurtured in us, we find that we live less and less by the model, I am my own, and more and more by the model, you are as important to me as I am to me. In fact, we might even be finding ourselves thinking, you, you are more important to me than I am even to myself. And as we dismount, we will find ourselves saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? We'll find ourselves saying more and more, I was wrong, you are right. It's amazing how when we are willing to dismount, to get off our high horse, that conflicted situations can be avoided, broken and strained relationships can be restored and reconciled, and healthy relationships can be made even better. And so, sisters and brothers in Christ, if you're on your high horse, it's time to dismount. Dismount. Confess your sins before your God and live in Jesus' love and forgiveness. Dismount of your arrogance and pride and vain conceit and resolve and be reconciled. Dismount and serve. Even in this time of social distancing, look for ways to serve one another. Dismount. For the Lord has promised that you will one day be exalted to the glorious realm of heaven. Yes, like the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Savior Jesus Christ, get off your high horse, for it's time to ride a donkey. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.